Hey everybody, long time no speak. Welcome back to another episode. Been away for a little while, been away from this, just uh, things, uh, vacations and just scheduling conflicts that kind of made this inconvenient. But there are some things happening, uh, so just kind of getting back into the swing of things with the podcast. First of all, this week we will be having a new Marvel series, What If, which kind of has these alternate timelines, alternate realities for our favorite Marvel heroes and villains. Should be very interesting. I've heard some very interesting early comments that the episodes are kind of a mixed bag, but some of them are really great and kind of take the MCU timelines in interesting directions. So we'll be start uh, having uh, recap episodes of those coming later this week. And that'll be beginning, I believe, on the 11th on Disney+. And to prepare for that, uh, additionally, this is going to be kind of like a comic book roundup. The meat of this is going to be final discussions, kind of a final takeaways from the Loki series uh, with Ray, who's been a guest before, and with Nick, a new guest as well, another comic book fan, Then, and we have an interesting conversation, kind of just our final reflections on the season of Loki. So I hope you've caught up on that. It was very good uh, overall, very interesting series, and I hope you had a chance to catch up on that. So to start things off, James Gunn's The Suicide Squad, so not Suicide Squad, but The Suicide Squad. So is this a reboot? or a sequel. That's kind of where my head was at. I initially assumed that it was a sequel, given the fact that there is some cast members that have returned uh, for this second movie. And interestingly, it does function as a sequel to the last film. However, a sequel that you would not have to have watched the first, the previous film at all. That film, despite its notoriety as being kind of a, a bad film, and uh, I never hated it as much. In general, with these DC movies, I've never hated them as much as a lot of fans of the DC properties have. But I found the film to be completely and utterly forgettable. I, I remember very, very little of it. I do remember it being very dark, The some of the visuals being very ugly, uh, which is kind of par for the course with a lot of the DC films like the um, Superman v Batman v Superman for example and then the Justice League movie as well the original one original version I should say pretty muddy visuals and um, and very dark pretty grim material and that was kind of my impression of Suicide Squad as well and once again very irrelevant to this conversation because you really don't have to have seen anything of the first film to appreciate this one for what it is what this really is is more of a James Gunn vehicle. So a little bit about James Gunn. Uh, he began making trauma films, if you're not familiar with that, as a very low-budget uh, production house that made movies, The Toxic Avenger being the most famous one, but really oftentimes just very inappropriate jokes, very crude, very grotesque uh, uh, imagery and jokes, a very kind of nihilistic sense of humor. And uh, that was kind of the brand for for Troma. And uh, as a matter of fact, it's kind of the brand for James Gunn as well. And uh, early on, he made, when he you know uh, started to make some larger budget movies, he made a very good comedy horror movie called Slither, probably still my favorite thing that he's done. And that's easy to track down. I'll put links to it in the show notes if you want to catch up on it. I'm sure it's available on one of the streaming services. It's always in circulation. He made a less successful movie called Super. I believe it was called Super. About a character who may be a superhero or may be mentally ill. Interesting concept. Not fully as successful as Slither was with its mashup of different genres. Uh, But basically, these early low-budget films landed him the Guardians of the Galaxy job. And that, of course, has been a phenomenal success. The two Guardians of the Galaxy movies, both hugely financially successful, uh, and the first one being a huge critical success as well, really a fan favorite. And obviously, most of you have probably seen that. So you get a feel for this kind of very crude humor, these kind of like nihilistic, uh, oftentimes jokes, which still you know, at heart, these, um, these kind of ad hoc families that are formed around these uh, misfits. To a large extent, this kind of nihilism was tamped down, I believe, by Marvel and Disney. And uh, I think that was, for my taste, maybe the right blend of these this temperament uh, in that first Guardians movie. And the second one was probably more, even more tamped down. Some kind of the cynicism of the humor was probably tamped down even more so in that second film. So now the the su- uh, this the Suicide Squad movie, this new one that's just premiered on HBO Max and in theaters, is really probably like the most unbridled versions of James Gunn's humor in that 
this is like unbridled cynicism, to be honest. There's like so much dark humor here. And some of it is very funny. John Cena specifically is very, very funny here. But a lot of it doesn't really land with me. And the R rating, by the way, really makes it as graphic as he wants to be. So there's got very, very graphic kills in this film. You have a very, very dark and cynical sense of humor. Uh, most of the jokes land, although maybe the tone for me is a little, maybe just not my, my style. But for example, folks who like the kind of humor that you see in Rick and Morty, let's say, you'll probably appreciate this as well. So it's very much in that vein. The film, for what it is, is pretty expensive to look at. I would assume it's a pretty big budget, but it's pretty inconsequential in uh, its stakes. But it is still uh, entertaining and very similar to Guardians of the Galaxy, by the way, uh, in, in thematically. It's about these kind of misfits who have no family, have no home, have no real place in the world, who form this kind of ad hoc family and they kind of come together, which which is, by the way, also what happens in the first Suicide Squad movie. These, this is a slightly different cast of characters. We still have Harley Quinn. We have Margot Robbie coming back yet again to play this character. She has one or two really great scenes, maybe the best scenes in the film. But this is very much an ensemble film. So she doesn't really get to own the film. This isn't really her film. For example, the way that the Birds of Prey movie was really much... Well, that was an ensemble too, so I'll take that back. But uh, it is. she's definitely not the most, uh, she's not the character that gets the most screen time, let's say here, but she gets some of the best scenes. Like I mentioned, John Cena is new to the, uh, to the franchise and uh he is great he is he not only was he really really good in this they've already announced that he is going to have a spin-off series on uh, hbo max which i believe they've already shot i think it's coming out uh in a few months and uh he deserves it because he is great in this and i've liked him in other things i've not seen him in fast nine yet i haven't watched that one yet but uh, i've liked him in some other things and uh he's really entertaining here and he really steals almost every scene he's in so I'm not going to go into any more spoilers. I'll just say that almost everybody in the film dies <laughs> before the film is over. And there's not many survivors at the end of this. So um, there will be a sequel with a much more uh, thinned out cast uh, from this particular film. But uh, if there is a sequel, let's say. But I'm sure they'll spin off these characters into other properties. Uh, any other final comments on my part? Idris Elba also is definitely one of the prime roles here. You're probably him, Margot Robbie, and uh, John Cena all have equal weight in the film. And uh, he is kind of incorrectly used, I'd say. He has to kind of be the fuddy-duddy in the mix, you know, with these kind of more comedic characters. And uh, he does what he needs to do. He has the gravitas that he needs to, but he doesn't have to get to have as much fun as everybody else. So I don't, I didn't think they used him as well as they could have, or maybe could have gotten somebody that, you know, may have uh, brought some humor to the role. But honestly, like I said, this is kind of like the most of all the roles. It's probably the, the most, uh, the one that gets like the least, have the least fun because he has to kind of be the dad, <laughs> literally in the film. And uh, some of the other characters kind of hit and miss. I didn't, most of the other characters in this crew, I wasn't really a huge fan of, but, uh, but overall I would give this a modest thumbs up, especially do you, if you enjoy the DC universe at all if you've liked margot robbie's character um in the past if you like this kind of like darkly humorous um violent comedy maybe like something like invincible which i'll be reviewing as well or the boys on amazon prime uh this is probably right up your alley so take that with a grain of salt i thought it was mostly successful it's you know maybe if you are a fan of james gunn it is probably the most unbridled that he's been since his probably early trauma films when he could kind of make anything he wanted to. So they kind of really gave him true free reign. And there's good, there's pluses and minuses in that. So that's how, that's what I would say. Before we get into the main meat of this uh, episode, where we're going to go into a deep dive into Loki, I did just want to mention once again, a series that actually finished in May. And I think season two is coming this fall. So there's time to get caught up on it. It was a very interesting series on Amazon Prime. And uh, just like The Boys is on Amazon Prime, by the way. If you haven't seen The Boys, uh, if you watch Suicide Squad, I would highly recommend you watch The Boys. It's also a comic book adaptation. Very dark, very violent, uh, but maybe more successful at being a story about these anti-heroes. There's two seasons so far. 
uh, the third is coming. And as a very good pairing to that was this year's Invincible, which is based on a comic book from the author who also wrote The Walking Dead. I'm not a fan of The Walking Dead, comic or TV show, but this is an interesting uh, concept of this comic book. It's a character who's just getting his powers. He calls himself Invincible. That's the name of the comic. That's the name of the character as well. And his dad is basically the analog to Superman uh, in this uh, world. And I'm not going to go into any explicit details other than to say that if you're interested in stories that cast these superheroes in, you know, as a antiheroes or uh, with very shady personal uh, politics, let's say, then this is an interesting, it's animated, but it's definitely interesting uh, show for, for you to watch uh, while you wait for the next season of The Boys. I probably like this better than The Boys. They get a much bigger canvas considering it's animated. They can really draw anything they want compared to the relatively limited scope of something like The Boys, which is trying to be somewhat grounded. Going beyond episode one is really basically introduces spoilers, but I would simply say that there's a twist that comes at the very, very end of episode one that makes the series very interesting exploring the kind of entitlement that a superhero that had basically unlimited powers that was so much more powerful than any other being on earth the problems of that right like how that could, that absolute power could corrupt absolutely so it's interesting i definitely would check it out if you haven't caught up on it if you thought well it's animated i'm not really into animated i'd say definitely check it out watch the first episode all the way through through the credits there's a bonus scene that kind of flips the script i would definitely check that out and give it a try if you haven't oh the boys as well if you haven't seen that or if you haven't caught up on season two definitely catch up on that so these are all coming to amazon prime invincible season two the boys season three and boy there's going to be a lot more comic book material coming our way more marvel stuff there's gonna be more marvel shows and more Marvel movies coming. So we'll be having a lot more comic book conversations, maybe like way too much to cover, to be honest. With that out of the way, let's get into our conversation, reviewing, recapping our final impressions of season one of Loki. everybody welcome back to another episode of need some introduction back again with ray tonight and we have another guest as well nick i don't know if you want to introduce yourself a little bit before we uh get going a little bit of your experience with the mcu what you know how long have you been a fan sure yeah so uh you know i've been uh, i've been a fan of the mcu probably for the last i don't know seven or eight years it's funny i got in late i i you know i saw the original iron man when it came out and loved it and then got out of got out of the movies, so to speak. I wasn't really into the Thor and, and Hulk uh, movies. Didn't really watch them. And uh, a few years later, a friend of mine was at my house and uh, Dr. Strange came on. Uh, it was on one of the movie channels and we started watching it. And I was like, wow, this is this is really good. And uh, he's like, yeah, you know, all the MCU movies are, are, are just this good. And, uh, you know, after that, I just, I really got into it and started watching all of them. I went all the way back to the original Iron Man, rewatched that, and then just went straight through and started watching all, you know, all of the movies again and uh, have become a huge MCU fan now. And uh, to the point where as soon as something's released, I'll, I'll immediately watch it. It's funny that Doctor Strange is your gateway because I actually think Doctor Strange is a little underrated as one of the better Marvel movies. I mean, it has some terrible parts and all I think almost all the Marvel movies have some pretty yeah. bad parts, but uh, overall, I mean, I I think it was one of the first times they kind of went in a strange direction, no, no pun intended, with with uh, uh, with the franchise. And I just loved like uh, this is kind of a digression, but I was always kind of disappointed when I saw Inception, that I'm like, oh man, like in your dreams you can have anything, right? And then the invented world was basically just a James Bond movie or different versions of James Bond movies. That was all the Inception had, you know, whether it was like on the ski slopes or in the hotel or etc. And then uh, when I saw Doctor Strange, I'm like, this is what Inception should have been like, right? It should be just crazy, you know, running up the side of buildings and, you know, all this craziness, right? And that whole fight sequence at the end, I, I always say it's one of my favorite sequences in any MCU movie, that fight sequence at the end where they're fighting in, you know, forward motion and every, like the whole city is being like rebuilt yep. around them. Anyway, I thought they really were really, really creative with action. And it was, it's funny how the MCU has kind of, been able to keep me on the hook because they pivot when I need them to. And I was like, I like the MCU, I like the characters, but man, every movie ends with the exact same action sequence. You know, like there's like a giant ship over a city and they're going to, you know, obliterate the city or whatever. It's like <laughs> the same thing over and over again. Right. 
And then uh, all of a sudden the next movie was like, no, it's uh, this giant backward sequence. And then it's, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Strange being like basically boring a demon to death or whatever that was, right? So it was like, they took it in a completely different direction. So I was like, oh, they, they pivoted just when I, I needed them to. And that's what I think they've done really well is that they've been able to um, change things up when they need to, right? You know, once I saw Dr. Strange, I was like, wow, this is, this is really good. So I went back and, you know, as I started watching the movies, I was actually like, I can't believe that I never watched these when they came out and I just got really into it. Now I'm a huge MCU fan. And, uh, and I was, like I said, I was just a casual fan at the time. So to your point, they really did do a great job of, of, uh, you know, making, making the movie somewhat relatable to the average fan and getting the average fan hooked into it. And how did you feel about the, the shows? How successful do you think they were? I think they were great. Uh, certainly Loki is by far my, my favorite. I, I don't, there's no question about that. WandaVision certainly is my second and, uh, you know, Falcon, uh, Winter Soldier. I thought it was fine. Uh, it's probably not something I need to see again. I, I sort of felt like it just ended up where it started. You know, we we already knew that he was getting the shield um, at the end of Endgame, and so it was sort of just a circular, uh, uh, circular type of show where you just you're just ending up where it started. And uh, I didn't think there was there was much story to tell there, other than to really, I guess, get um, U.S. agent into the into the action and the baron into the action to the extent now that they're going to be used going forward uh in the mcu but otherwise i, I felt that that you know that was really just the vehicle for that show really just served as that vehicle to get those characters introduced but otherwise wasn't necessarily a story that needed to be told and i hope that uh, marvel learned something from this because i think the general consensus from almost everybody i've spoken to is that they like that one the least and i really feel that's the most conservative play they had you know it was pretty trans you know it's pretty much standard action and there's really nothing there that was surprising in in the in the way they uh set up that show and in a lot of ways i feel like people kind of expected well they'll be safe here you know this will be the yeah. safest play they have and i think everybody was kind of most disappointed with that series so maybe they learned something from it and they they, they uh experiment a little bit more and they definitely have experimented i give them credit for sure. having changed up um I mean, the recipe there i think they experimented just with the graphic uh representation of u.s agent when there's that bloody scene with the shield where he his anger yeah. takes control when he first is on the super soldier serum and like you know that was the big thing how crazy that scene was and how oh you know you may want to not want your children to watch this scene and yeah. meanwhile <laughs> every captain america certainly taking people out too but you know the way it was done is the the thing but yeah i agree that the falcon winter soldier like we we already talked about this nick a little bit it's just you know it, it was even the whole concept of the motives behind the antagonists were not clearly explained right. i mean it, obviously the snap had to do with it and their entry back into society when they were out for five years and i i understand i suppose there were just people who are either expats or or just isolated in countries that they didn't belong but they couldn't get out of these countries and, and i don't know it just it just didn't have the fervor you, you couldn't really see the human side of the antagonist behind the whole thing you know that was the other yeah. thing so and I, I do believe that there was a different plot even but it uh, hit too close to home, whether it was COVID or a viral, sort of more of a James Bond villain type yeah. of, you know, the world's going to be destroyed thing again, whereas they were just fighting to create the world in a different way again. So I was right. sort of, I don't know, it just... It just didn't. It just didn't buy it as a terrorist organization. You know? And so. I think there there was an aspect of it too. Absolutely, that there was that aspect too. I and I don't even know all the details of this, but apparently there were some. There was something in the scripts and in the plot itself that had to do with some kind of a, you know, a global pandemic was kind right. of the vector for all of this. And I guess they had to like you know change all the scripts, like almost like you know as they're shooting them. So that probably made that storyline a little more confused. But I I honestly think even if they had fixed that part of it or kept it as it was. I, I don't know if there was that much more there. And like I said, just, I feel, you know, of all the series that, you know, and, and WandaVision does, you know, it doesn't, add, it adds more to the relationships, you know, fleshes those out. But I think, you know, as far as like advancing the plot, obviously what it happens in Loki. And by the way, anyone listening to this, we're going to go full spoilers now. So if you haven't <laughs> finished Loki, like, like finish those episodes before you come back. I am surprised. I won't give, we'll go into my whole you know, review again, but I was surprised that the audience seemed to really 
embrace this like in a big way i mean like i have heard almost unanimous praise for the finale and i did like the finale once again what was there i really liked i felt like they only gave me half a meal though <laughs> it was a little too brief but um but i mean people love this right so where were you on that scale i i did enjoy it but enjoyed it purely as a marvel fan and i actually felt for some of the people who aren't hardcore marvel fans that they wouldn't have that reaction but as you said it, it does seem to it did sort of actually just give us an end some sort of end for these whereas wandavision didn't really end very well it was sort of just all these loose ends still visions running away and wanda's looking at the dark hold and whereas this at least you could see although there was obviously cliffhangers at the end it did complete the arc of the story and i think that's what was satisfying for everybody that hunger to know about the tva how did it start who was behind it at least you got answers to those questions which in the other series you didn't get a lot of answers i mean you really you know, so that was the one rewarding portion of it. I think Majors did a great job um, acting. I mean, he's a great guy to explain yeah. anything. I'll, yeah. I'll hire him to explain <laughs> any story. I mean, he was great at it, you know, with the, the moldable characters. And uh, I mean, just great. And just the whole elevation of himself as a human talking to the other. Like it just the whole thing just was done very well. And not cheesy like Wizard of Oz cheesy. You know, yeah. it was definitely not exactly what you expected. And I think probably, and maybe I'm in a minority of this, Miss Minutes is really creepy now. I, she creeped me out <laughs> right, at the right. beginning of that. Because I'm like, oh, no. I, I'm like, oh, no. It's Miss Minutes all along. They're going to have her as the bad guy. I'm like, it can't be. But even that was still creepy. Her her demeanor changed in that episode. Yeah. You sort of she's the one who knows everything and's playing everyone too and you know whether it's talking to ravona or giving her the wrong files the she's not you know not giving her the files she asked for the ones that she'll need you know right, and it's right. like creepy very creepy that episode with <laughs> she, she, yeah she's got her own agenda too she does you know <laughs> she does you know so but I, I thought they did a great job explaining things um if you're a big comic book fan with with kang and obviously immortus um, you got rewarded because this is the one show where if you put two and two together, you had a good idea who, who was going to be revealed and you finally got that reward. You know, <laughs> there was no more, yes. you know, no more like Iron Man three with the Mandarin. There's no weird twists like, aha, you thought it was, but it's not. And so right. that was nice too. I think the Kang was, well, I shouldn't say he's Kang. He's he who remains, but you know, obviously the Immortus is really the character, the future Kang, you know, the old right elder version of Kang really paid off. And, uh, you know, the relationship with Elioth. And again, they, they, they love doing this with Marvel films. They, they love taking the comic stories and just twisting them ever so slight, you know, whereas yeah. Elioth was actually once released by Ravona in the comics, which then released a bunch of Kangs that didn't start conquering the world, which is very similar to the plot line. Again, spoiler alert, we already knew. Of, of episode six right. but obviously done in a different way with the loki throwing you know right. so that's right. loki served that role so I, I did enjoy it um i was not the biggest fan of episode five i was not yeah. i i thought there was the only part was really grant's performance as old loki that was really the only part yeah that was really cool um i i still didn't think he was dead i thought he was all an illusion he was still going to come back to life even though he yeah. was doing that um that really redeemed it uh, obviously uh you know, crocodile or alligator Loki was great too. So, <laughs> yeah, my critique of five, and we and we discussed it, but it was, uh, yeah, I just feel like it was too cramped. It was like too many Easter eggs too. Like once again, yeah. I am not a comic book fan, and now Nick, I'd like to throw it to you to get your feel for it too, because. I wasn't a comic book fan. So I feel like a lot of those Easter eggs are for the comic book fans. So I kind of felt like you could tell there were jokes I was missing. And I'm just like, okay, you know, we're running short on time, people. Not so many inside jokes. You know? Yes. But, yes, um, yes. Nick, how did you feel about it? as kind of just a more casual viewer. What'd you think? Yeah. You know, uh, I, I also, I, I thought it was great. Uh, I really did love the final episode and, and uh, I'm not a comic book fan. Again, my fandom is strictly related to, you know, the MCU, the pictures and the, and, and the TV show. Uh, but I did enjoy the last episode because I thought it really did explain everything very well. The conversation with with Kang at the end was, you know, or, or during the whole show actually, uh, was was excellent. Um, it really did explain really the whole basis for the TVA and his role in it. Um, 
and just how the characters reacted to learning this information from him. Uh, it, it, I, I thought it came full circle and did provide me with answers, even though I'm not a comic book fan. I knew who Kang was, uh, and I thought, you know, I thought I thought it was well done and uh, and did provide a lot of uh, a lot of answers. In terms of episode five, I I did like it, Ray. I uh, I thought it was great. I picked up a few of the Easter eggs, uh, and one of the things I do is after I watch each episode and when I after I watch every MCU movie, I start googling. Uh, you know, yep. they Easter eggs. So I'll, I'll just immediately go, you know, Loki episode six Easter eggs. So even though I'm not a comic book fan, then I'm like, oh, okay, that's what that was. But I saw things there. You know, I I, I didn't know what the Thanos helicopter was, but um, I certainly knew that the large um, yellow jacket uh, helmet. I you know I picked that up right away, and so there were there were a few things that I was able to to pick up. Uh, President Loki. That was President Loki. Yeah. yeah. So. Uh, no, no. So I thought I, I did like episode five, but I thought episode six did a, did an excellent job just just bringing it all home and obviously setting it up, setting up the MCU and uh, for for phase four and and really explaining how the multiverse is going to work now. We, we know and, where the multiverse uh, of madness was released. <laughs> exactly. So so we know how it was released. I mean, the interesting thing now is conceptually you know the tva is completely changed but the tva only exists at the end of time because i was thinking well are there other tvas now where the mobius that we knew does he still exist and i would probably say he doesn't because the tva i think much like where kang was in his tower in his castle was located at the end of time so presumably uh the multiverse exists but the bad kang the kang the conqueror has succeeded as becoming the individual or the one Kang that's going to control the TVA. And if you picked up at the end, which I'm sure you did, uh, the new Mobius, so to speak, was was speaking with B-15 saying he's allowing, he said something like, how many of these is he going to allow? How many multiverses is he going to allow? Or some, something to that effect at the very end. So the the new Kang or the, the, the Kang the Conqueror is allowing these multiverses to exist. And so Presumably, our timeline still exists. The MCU timeline that we've come to know still exists somewhere. And now we've got all these other timelines. But the TVA that's controlling all of the timelines is really now powered by Kang the Conqueror. Right. Well, at least so that it's version of the TVA that we saw. Yeah, I mean, there could be other TVAs out there, but but I, I don't think there are. I think that this TVA is well. It's, the TVA. Kind of, it's funny you said that because we're getting on theories and stuff yeah. with the TVA. You know, I've always thought of the TVA as is existing out of time, like in its own pocket universe. You know, again, maybe in the quantum realm. That's maybe where it resides, even though the whole TVA and this the city that it's there. So it's interesting that when he who remains is discussing the multiverse war, if you look at those figurines, they've all got those same tva pruning sticks in their hands fighting each other you know so you you think with the multiverse is there multiple tvas battling for dominance and you only see one tva or is it just one tva that's now changed by the timeline and now this kang is not as same but benevolent he who remains and now is running the tva for his own benefit i mean you have to always think that the tva is for the benefit of kang it always was whether it was he who remains, who's the benevolent person who sees the timelines as they work out, or now this new one who has now taken over, and he doesn't have to make up three timekeepers. He's the guy, and he's the one running the show. So, or is he running just that TVA? And they're right. battling. There's multiple TVAs that are going to battle mm-hmm. each other for dominance. That could be too. See, so that's an interesting point. <laughs> well, so so to, to guide that conversation, because I think I, we, that's what I want to kind of dig into. Um, and maybe that'll dig into where that's going to tie into all the other MCU as well. But to, to kind of um, guide that, the uh, what do you guys think happened at that moment when Sylvie pushes Loki through that portal? Is he, um, I think you have maybe uh, divergent uh, theories here. Uh, I think, Nick, what you're saying is that she pushed him back into the same timeline, but that timeline is like basically a bastardized timeline, right? Because in that now, that same timeline, Kang is now the ruler, right? So he right. like, he's now guiding that. Or is it possible that she pushed him back and because of all the splintering of the timelines, he's now just in another timeline, right? And that timeline is not even aware that there are all these other branch timelines, right? right. Because now all those timelines are live again. 
So uh, I don't know. I don't know what the answer to that is. I think both theoretically are uh, true, but I think what you're saying, um, Ray, is uh, true as well. I'm pretty that when you look at the your theory of it, I think is correct. That what happened was that you had a Kang character in almost every timeline that at first these like timelines are cohabitating, sharing information, et cetera. But at some point they start fearing that, you know, if it's like a, a, uh, some kind of zero sum philosophy that, uh, you know, if one of the other timelines is going to start eradicating timelines, then I need to be the surviving timeline. And then if, of course, if everyone has that idea at the same time, by the way, Rick and Morty talk here. Oh, you're, you have, you're not caught up on this season. Uh, um, no, you're sorry. Not. <laughs> but anyway, minor spoiler, second episode of Rick and Morty this season is this exact storyline where it's like infinite Rick and Mortys. And one of them basically says, oh, there's other Rick and Mortys that are going to come destroy us. So um, it's like a Russian nesting doll of like killing Rick and Mortys, right? <laughs> and it's basically, this is the exact same storyline that basically played out here in this, uh, right. in or this the, show. Or the Matrix with levels of control. And exactly, exactly. So it's playing with the same concept, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I, really, I did have flashbacks of the architect in the Matrix, the second movie, and his discussions with he who remains i i felt that was very similar to neo's conversation yeah. when he's in that corporate tower and he realizes it's all a ploy just to reboot the whole system again and he's just a a mechanism of control another level of control which is uh you know again he revolts against it too you could say the two loki's revolted against it too because they did not comply right and i think he was counting on that that's part of the whole thing right. he knew that they would not both comply now i kind of feel maybe there is only one TVA and because it's an isolated pocket universe, maybe the rules in the TVA do not apply to say, for instance, the time travel multiverse rules where, you know, they basically can't affect each other. The past can't affect itself. So I almost felt that when he's initially pushed into the TVA, it's the TVA that they had say came from, but with actions of, of Sylvie, it literally changes around him almost more, back to the future like where everything changes around you because right. something's changed because right. you got to remember the tva exists throughout the entire course of history right. even though they go to try to prune timelines as they occur but remember there was a nexus event and then if the red line got too far they couldn't prune it anymore see right. so that was the thing so you see all these nexus events now that you can't prune and that's what they're yelling at at the screen like what are we going to do we can't prune all these now so you know, again, it's weird how that works, where there does seem to be a timeline that they follow in the TVA. Right. But at the same time, they're they're omniscient. They're everywhere. They're in the beginning of time. They're at the end of time. So it, it'll be very interesting to see how they explain that. Um, I had a very interesting theory. And so, you know, in the comics, you know, Kang is actually a very, very, very future descendant of Reed Richards. Uh, he's in the 31st century. Reed Richards was one of his long, long lost ancestors, right? So there's an idea that, well, if how are you going to re how are you going to introduce the Fantastic Four, right? Just like how are you going to introduce the the multiple Spider Verses and all? Like, so this is a perfect opportunity. Now you could easily throw in the Tobey Maguire Spider Man. They're all different variants. That's easy, right? right? Well, what about the Fantastic Four? Well, I thought about this, and so Kang. You know, by them releasing all these other Kangs, right? In doing so, it actually allows for maybe Reed Richards to exist. So all the pruning that went on before was in an effort not even to allow Reed Richards to be, uh, be alive, you know, whatever. Like you kill Reed Richards, you know, grandfather before. So he, they can never have Reed Richards, who then in turn can never spawn Kang down the road in the 31st century. So now by releasing all this, they didn't release the Kangs. They allowed Reed Richards to actually be born now. And now the Fantastic Four can come into the fold because of the multiverse being released now. It's kind of an interesting concept. Like everyone's thinking about Kang, but maybe you have to think of the root of Kang, which actually is Reed Richards. See? So that Does that mean that now we'll have, we'll have to go back and include the old fantastic four movies with well, maybe um, that or or now now it allows the fantastic four to be created because now reed richards can actually be born whereas mm -hmm. before kang was always he wasn't preventing kangs he was preventing reed richards from even being born in the pruning of the timelines 
So just a theory. I, I don't know. We'll see how that plans out. So that's that would be an interesting go- way to go about it. Like the whole like, uh, you know, killing Hitler <laughs> as right. an infant. Well, there, right. <laughs> and remember, there was a there was a comic with with Hulk where Kang was going back, trying to eliminate the Hulk because Hulk is one of the guys who always defeats him and the Avengers and all. The whole reason the Avengers come about in the comic books is because Hulk is on a rage and they have to control him and then they get together as a team, similar to the original Avengers movie. So there is a comic book arc where Kang goes back and tries to kill one of Bruce Banner's uh, ancestors in World War One with a cannon that he was fighting the Germans with. But because they're not succeeding, ultimately the Hulk ends up destroying the cannon so he can't kill his his grandfather or whatever. He, Kang fails. But it was the same storyline, kind of like you go back and kill your grandfather, then you can't have the Hulk to begin with because you can never have Bruce Banner to become the Hulk, you know, right. so. So who knows? We'll see. It'd be very interesting if that is how they at least allow the Fantastic Four to come into being, because everyone had thought it would be the Thanos snap with the energy and the cosmic radiation gives them that. But it still doesn't really fit in any timeline right now. So who knows? Just as a show, though, by the way, the one thing I have to say that even though like I was a little disappointed, they kind of left things on a cliffhanger, although here's where my expectations matter. I really felt like because it seemed like all these other Marvel shows were really just one season and that was it. They really did like this was basically just setting up season two, which of course, whether it's lost or any other TV show, they always end in basically like it's a cliffhanger for next season. And it's like, I was so not used to watching a show that way that I was like season two, what I wanted this thing to wrap up after season one. I know. And uh, so that, so that was a little bit, once again, my expectations kind of tainted that reaction maybe a little bit, but I give them a lot of credit is very ballsy to basically take this probably very expensive show with a lot of expectations on it. And honestly, it's like almost the entire episode is three people talking in a room and that's it. That's the whole show, right? They're talking about free will. They're talking about like, you know, choice versus control, you know, like all these other things. I'm just like, wow, this is pretty ballsy that this is how you're ending a Marvel show. Right. But uh, but apparently I'm surprised people have embraced it. So oh, they had some great concepts that they were talking about. I mean, yeah. after the episode, I was very introspective myself and yeah. just thinking about what's it all about again and all. So that's great when it, it stimulates your, your brain with that. Again, I felt really bad for Loki because he literally, in the span of that last, say, 10 minutes, he gets his heart broken by Sylvie. Yep. And then he gets his heart broken by his best friend, Mobius, because he yep. doesn't even recognize him. It's like, yep. oh, my God. It's like <laughs> his world is collapsing now. It's like he's got no friends at all now. He is, you know, so that. That was like a double heartbreak almost for him in some sense, you know, so. He has some freedom, though, in a way, because if he's like, if no one knows who he is, right, all of a sudden that now the Lokis are not a thing anymore in this other version of reality that, uh, you know, he can kind of, you know, he could just kind of, I guess he just has to be incognito, right, just act like a, well, a regular analyst. Know, he, he who remains does say you go back to the TVA, you talk to the employees and tell them who you are and you're in charge. Right. So in a weird way. Maybe they both get to do what they need want to do now because he obviously right. wanted to do run the TVA. So now he's thrown back into the TVA. They don't know who he is. They're thinking he's an analyst. Like, who are you? Who are you? Like, you know. Right. And then meanwhile, Sylvie gets to have her revenge on on the he who remained, who was, you know, obviously the one who had the whole construct of of the time pruning to begin with. So actually, they both got to do what they wanted to do almost at the end, to some degree. But now what she see, I mean, what's going to happen to her, right? She's stuck out on that same I, planet. I, uh, Right. I suspect the, one of the evil Kangs will show up very soon. De- definitely. The Kangs will show up eventually. Yep. Yeah. yeah. No, no I question. mean, what'd you think of the statues? I mean, there's four yeah. statues. Clearly there were other conflicts in that castle at some point, things got broke and thrown around. So, you know, is this like, again, just the, the same tired loop that plays out time and time again, in just different areas in the castle. Right. Even, you know, so I, you know, it's, it, the other thing was the, the, I didn't really get was when they crossed the threshold. Right. He goes, yeah, that was kind of odd. Just like we're up, we crossed the threshold. Yeah. What was, what was the nexus event that created that, (laughs) that, that that I didn't understand. I didn't understand that either, you know, and the more he delayed, obviously the timelines behind him, you could see already branching. Right. So even with their indecision, the brand they're branching now at this point, um, it would have been interesting if they decided to stay and run the TVA. Like, was he going to give them an instruction manual or were they just going to give <laughs> right, them that yeah. temp pad or what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just have at it. Good luck. I mean, there, yeah, there, there were certain elements of what he was saying, though. I think, you know, 
that clearly weren't true. He was lying to them because if you recall, when they first got there, Miss Minutes offered Loki the chance to go back to New York and win and, and mm -hmm. defeat Thanos and become the king of Asgard and, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, Sylvie could go back. So Kang was obviously trying to first avoid a conflict with them. But then later in the episode, he says, well, no, I intended for you to be here. You know, you, you know, I paved the road for you and you walked, walked, through it or you know walked on it to get here and and, and i don't buy that because right. then why offer that up right. to loki and sylvie when they right. first when they first got to the castle or why try to prune her when she was a kid right you know so there there's there's no truth to that in my mind um but you, you gotta think he has self-preservation for himself even if yeah. he's the most benevolent wise nice version so maybe the whole construct is literally to perpetuate kang anyway so it's all a plot within a plot, you know, both right. ways that he still lives on and his next version will come up and eventually rule. So it's, you know, it's, <laughs> I do agree with you, Nick, that there was ulterior motives. And although it seems that maybe he was right and he was telling them all the truth, there's definitely different levels to that half truth or, or what he actually said, because um, you know, again, you have to think he has self-preservation to continue the loop one way or the other. So exactly. exactly. But does that free him in some way? See, one, one of the theories I have that I can explore in the, my little mini review was that potentially this could all be a trap anyway. Like his goal was to have them come there and kill him and free him. Right. Cause you know, potentially he's been doing this millions of times and it's like, you know, he has, um, you know, it, it's freeing his variants in a way right which might have been his goal in the first place like he may have created his own cage in a way where he couldn't for example kill himself or escape on his own so maybe the whole thing was a ploy to because when she kills him he does not fight you know if his goal was self-preservation he just offers himself up and his reaction is not like you know whatever like oh thank god i'm released or i can't believe you did that his reaction is see you soon <laughs> yeah so he's yeah. not he's not afraid at all of the consequences of that action so yeah. i don't think that he uh you know like i i i suspect that it's possible that he uh you know that she she fell into his trap in a way i mean yeah. might have been, been a cage of his own making right that protect himself he put himself into this like infinite place but then he can't escape it right he's there by himself and he probably yeah. can't die, so he needs someone to get there. And he might have just—he might have paved the road to get them there to that moment. And maybe like he didn't that. need Loki; he only needed Sylvie. So maybe he did want to seduce Loki back to the TVA or back to New York, and he just needed Sylvie to go up there because Sylvie was the one who was going to finally, uh, you know, uh, it, I mean, as a matter of fact, Loki's the one who tries to prevent her from doing it, right? So that's an interesting point because again, it goes back to what um, what you hear Mobius saying to B fifteen, B fifteen, I think is her name, uh, at the end when he's saying to her that you know kang wants the branches to split you know he's saying how many is he going to allow happen or something like that there's some back and forth between the two of them almost to the point where he wants these branches to split so assuming that there is only one tva and this kang the conqueror is now the one that's controlling it he wants divergence. He wants a number of multiverses. So to your point, maybe it is a freeing mechanism for him where he now wants a number of versions of himself existing in the multiverse and he's free. And he, you know, he, he wants to see a, a bunch of versions of himself running around a different, in, in a different number of multiverses. I mean, what I was thinking is, you know, obviously, you know, phase, you know, the first three phases, right. Of the MCU was all about the infinity gauntlet and, and Thanos and defeating Thanos. So now it's like, all right, well, what's, you know, for lack of a better word, what's the end game here? And I think that phase four, and I don't know how many phases this will be, but, you know, presumably what, what the ultimate goal will be now is to make sure that the multiverses do exist, right? Free will, but absent Kang. And how, how are you going to get to that point where you essentially kill the devil? And, right. you know, how are they going to be able to defeat this guy in all of the universes, because that's that's where you're going to ultimately get to the endpoint that you want. Multiverses that exist, enabling all these different universes to exist, and free will to Mobius's point, but at the same time erasing the devil. And that's what the Avengers and all of these characters are going to now have to be up against over the next, you know, how many phases it's going to take. So it's a much larger scope, um, a little bit more intricate in in uh, concept. Uh, than than just you know a big purple guy 
collecting five stones or six stones and snapping his finger and stopping that. This is really going to be interesting to see where they take it now and how each of the Avengers and each of these characters is going to, is going to need to eradicate this, this evil that exists in every single universe. And not only that, but an evil that can jump back and forth through time. That's ultimately going to be where you want to be at the end of what, again, whatever, how many phases it's going to take at the end of all of this, you want the multiverses to be, to, to be able to exist in harmony. And if we take Kang for his word or he who remains his word, you know, to be true, he was really the cause of the multiversal war because each one of his variants was fighting each other to gain control of the other universe. So if you erase him, presumably then the multiverses will be able to exist in harmony. So going back to the Matrix comment that you yeah. made before. Yeah, that, that's actually funny that, you know, uh, at moments when I was watching Loki, I didn't make the Matrix connection, but uh, you, bring, you bring it up. It's like, it absolutely is the uh, the moment where he, you know, in Matrix 2, when he gets to uh, talk to the explainer, that's what I used to call him, the explainer, uh, the architect. And uh, yeah, it's very similar to that. And I, I got to say, Jonathan Majors, by the way, I had heard that he had been cast. And I found this very funny. I did not know Jonathan Majors at all until like two years ago, I'd say. And he was in a movie called The Last Black Man in San Francisco, which was like a movie a few years ago. They got a lot of uh, hype. And I watched it. It was really, really good. Very small, like independent movie. And he is basically like an introvert. He barely speaks in the movie. He does everything with his face. He's very expressive. And then uh, he was also in uh, Lovecraft Country on HBO um, this mo- this past season. And once again, he's the lead, but he's very stoic. He's very quiet. And then it was very funny to see him here being like very like, you know, kind of hammy and uh, like an over the top kind of villain. And I I mean, I would only assume that if he, when he plays Kang, he's probably going to be even more over the top potentially. But it was very funny. I was seeing him in a very, very different register than I've seen him before. So, but it was, uh, it was fun. I'm, I'm sure he got directed to be as over the top as he wanted to be because he's going to be the big bad for the next few <laughs> movies, right? Yeah. Well, again, with the same idea of, of he who remains is the one contriving the whole plot to release his variants on purpose. Yeah. You cannot ignore the fact that as this stuff is happening in real time, he's having Miss Minutes feed Ravona all these files right. and informing her about all this. And obviously hand selecting her as his secondhand woman to help him run or have her meet his variants. And right. Clearly, that's setting that up as well. So, oh, that's that's important too, right? When she yeah. exits, she says, "He goes, where are you going?" Uh, um, uh, Mobius asks, "Where is she going?" Yeah. And she goes, "I'm going in, in, in look, searching for free will." Right. Um, uh, so yeah, so that's actually a good point. And like you mentioned, uh, I wouldn't have known this if it wasn't for our conversations, right? But the fact that Ravona is like a love interest for. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kang in the comics and you know I don't know if it's going to become romantic although it may at least in some variants of time but uh, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if like you said now Ravona is going to be like you said what's the theory of this free will would theoretically be the multiverse right all these different variants so is she part of this plan now right exactly like you like you said and Miss Minutes exactly that Miss Minutes doesn't give her the files she asked for she gives her the files that she's going to need right so that's specifically (laughs) instructions right so so it's very interesting they they definitely plotted this out and I got to give Kevin Feige and the rest of the creative uh, team they have there have done a really good job of making this thing make sense (laughs) which is kind of amazing in and of itself yes and just think if they let the Hulk just take the elevator down from Stark Tower, ah, this would have never, none never of this happened. Would happen. If Woody had just gone straight to the police, <laughs> none of this would have happened. It's true. That one dumb little event, domino effect, right? Right. <laughs> Hulk stairs. That's it. Oh, that's great. That's it. You know, with these Marvel movies, like uh, recently uh, uh, TNT had just the original Ant-Man on. And you know, obviously you're watching it on cable with commercials, which is ridiculous. And we all do it. I don't know why we get roped in and I could go downstairs and put it in my DVD if I want, but I'm watching Disney plus, it on man. TV. Disney plus. Yeah. Yep. And you know, it just, you just pick up little things. Even then you're like, Oh, well look, this was from that. And it like it, these movies are so rewatchable and they yep. really are. They, they've, they've invented a system where you can really go back and almost every viewing gets something new out of these these movies they really are it's it's incredible really so i gotta tell you just like dr strange ant-man the, uh, the first ant-man specifically more so than the second one the first ant-man movie because my daughter loves the first ant-man movie you know it's the youngest movie they probably have i think right. it's pg it's probably the right. only pg they have mm-hmm. so it's um 
so she loves watching it. You know, when she first saw it, she was like three, you know, she's like just turned six now. So I watched that a bunch of times, just like I watched like Monsters Incorporated a hundred times too, because she watched that one a hundred times. And like you said, it's like, that's a movie that probably the first time I saw it, I'm like, that was nice. Right. But you watch it a bunch of times and you're like, wow, this is like really not grating or annoying. And like you said, it ties yeah. in. And by the way, Ant-Man becomes like a, a real scene stealer in the Avengers movies later on. Too. Yeah. So really. And, and Paul Rudd's great. I mean, he's, you great. Know, he's, yeah. he's, he's just his, you know, his own personality, you know, it's, yeah. he's one of the more fun, uh, you know, Ant-Man is, is one of the more fun characters, just like, you know, uh, Chris Pratt, you know, in guardians, it's just, they're, 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 they're really good on screen. And it's just, it's just fun to see their personalities. Uh, That's the saving know. grace of all this. I got to tell you of all these movies, the thing that keeps me going back is they do such a great job of casting these people and developing the characters. I think they are way more interested in developing characters yeah. than they are in like just having an awesome finale and stuff, which I wish was there. You know, most of the time I feel, I mean, that end game I thought was great, by the way, love the finale of that. But I think in general, the finales are usually tiring but the characters are so well-developed. So for example, I don't like Guardians of the Galaxy 2. I think it's much worse a movie than Guardians of the Galaxy 1, but I love seeing those characters hang out with each other. So it's still watchable, right? And, uh, and that's what they do. They just get it right. Oh, and another example of this is I didn't like the first two Thor movies. And I didn't like the first one or the second one. I did like the third one a lot. But uh, but once again, you know, they got Chris, Chris Helmsworth in there, what his name is. And uh, he's great, right? He's great as, yeah. as Thor. You love him in the Avengers movies, right? That's And that's it, right? It's, the, it's just an excuse to introduce these characters and get them all in the room together. That's all we're trying to do. Yeah, and they made, they made you know, Ragnarok was way, that was actually, um, I'm trying to think, I think Ragnarok was actually the first Thor movie that I had seen other than, you know, seeing Thor in Avengers. So, you know, I absolutely loved Ragnarok. Then yeah. I went back and, you know, as I said, it was, it was somewhat disjointed when I, when I watched these originally and I went back and I saw the first Thor movie and I was like, all right, you know, that's okay. You know, his, his character was much more stoic, yeah. a little bit more serious. And they developed the character over time to make it a little bit more jovial and uh, more more enjoyable because, you know, that first scene in Ragnarok when he's, you know, stuck in the cage and he's talking to the skeleton and then he fights, uh, I forget, you know, the the, the creature that That's ultimately, just, yeah. yeah, you know, destroys uh, uh, Asgard at the end. You know, it's just, it's, it, it's a great scene. You know, the whole thing in that first fight sequence is excellent. He's trying to get Heimdall to open up the Bifrost and, you know, the the, the giant uh, creatures coming after him. I mean, that, that, that was a great great opening and uh you know i was like oh wow you know hopefully the other door movies are like this but they really weren't but, but i was talking to ray about this i actually liked i really did like thor too i know that that one gets oh, yeah. a bad rap uh you know some of it's kind of ridiculous with the elves but it, it you know it turns out thor 2 is is a critical yeah. uh entry into the mcu because so <laughs> right. much happens in that movie that actually impacts what happens in endgame and uh you yeah, know presume yeah. yeah and loki absolutely i mean yeah. he caused his mother's death and and so it, you know it impacts you know his personality and his his character development in this series yeah. but that is the other thing that they're really amazing at doing i mean unanimously when that came out you didn't see it in real time but when thor 2 came out it was like savaged by you know most people who, who saw it and i saw it and i i honestly didn't hate it when i saw it but it was one of those movies that immediately after finished watching it i couldn't remember a thing about it but to your point as forgettable as it was even in the moment that this is another thing they've done. That's really impressive with the MCU. They took that movie and they took uh, like of um, age of Ultron, for example, which were two movies that were probably lower on people's rankings and they retroactively made them incredibly important to the MCU. So they took, and they've done this repeatedly and I'm pretty sure intentionally, they basically take their weakest points and then they fix them in their future movies, right? And I think that that has been like, you know, that has made this like a really rich um, uh, experiment. You know, I think, I don't know if you guys watch Breaking Bad, but I feel yeah. it's the same thing with Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad, when I first, I saw it in real time. And after the first season, I was like, I don't even know if I'm going to watch the second season. Like I like Brian Cranston, but the movie, the show is just like, eh, whatever. And then uh, the second season got better and the third season got better. And, it, and it's like, I feel like they were like learning as they were going. And they were using what they did before and they reused it in like clever ways and they've made this storyline stronger. And I think the MCU's done a similar thing where they 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 kind of put out a movie and then they, you know, they make some mistakes or whatever. And then they learn from that and then they, you know, refactor. And like an example is like WandaVision, where I think the one thing that was strong was they really expected us to have this kind of emotional bond with Wanda 
and vision, even though they really hadn't fleshed them out. And then you have a whole series that fleshes that relationship out. So now you yeah. can like really, if you want to dig back and see like Wanda's um, pain, like if she becomes this, um, uh, you know, a uh, monster in, in the upcoming films, trying to undo that evil thing that happened. Uh, now you're bought in on it because, Hey, we had this whole series that fleshed out their relationship. The um, you know, there are other franchises that have, have done similar things like what they did with Endgame, where they tell the same exact story, which, you know, but they tell it from a different perspective and yeah. it becomes a whole new story because you didn't know that angle. You didn't know that perspective. Now they use time travel to have themselves there watching themselves literally in the third person. But um, there's one, uh, I know if you're familiar with the, the novel Ender's Game, mm -hmm. you ever read that book, you know? Um, um, so there is a whole follow-up series and there was a movie Ender's Game that wasn't bad, but the, the book really wouldn't translate to a movie. Book would probably translate more to a series, you know, like, yeah, like they yeah. do, like a mini series, maybe 10, 12 episodes. So to cram it all in a two hour movie was a lot, but they didn't do a bad job with that movie. But they went on to, there's other colleagues in the, in the book and also in the film that are essentially teammates of the main character, Ender, Wigan, and they call it like Ender Shadow. So they tell the perspective from another kid, you know, and, and they do the same thing with Star Wars too, where they retcon things and fill in gaps, but it makes it interesting because now you see it from a different take. And then you say, oh, wait, that's why that happened because he was in that spot and that's why this happened. And it, it kind of brings the whole story together. And then what it does is make you go watch the other one again. Too. So <laughs> right. yeah. it, it perpetuates the whole thing, you know? So it's great, you know? So, I mean, I don't know how many times I go back and watch the original Guardians and the original Avengers after you see Endgame just to just try to look for things or just, you know, just see how they did it, see how they worked that out, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. All good. You know, one of the other things that I, I like that they do is, is when, when you've got recurring characters and not just, you know, the evil quote unquote evil characters, not the one-offs that, you know, like, like ego or th that are ultimately killed and there's really no, you know, saving their characters. They do develop the characters that, that are, that are presumably, you know, even Loki is a great example, right? right? Initially was a bad guy. Yeah. Now clearly is, you know, an anti-hero. He's going to be a hero going forward uh obviously he had he had the opportunity to to get everything he always wanted at the end of the show and he and he passed on it and uh so clearly you know they've developed that character and and you see it with other characters you know yandu really wasn't a great character in the first guardians but then he comes out he's you know a father figure and other characters even thanos to a certain extent you get his motivation you know, it's a little bit of a gray area, you know, yeah, he was psychotic, but you understand why he was doing what he was doing. But other characters like Nebula, you know, you've seen, you've seen them grow the characters that that are initially bad, you, you know, you come to learn some motivations and you and you come to see that they're, you know, that there that there is some gray area there that it's not all black and white. Yeah, I think that's what's kind of clever too about and I guess this comes from the comics, because the comic stories get so complex over time. But I like that even you know, we see it even here at the end of Loki, where there really is no good, there is really no right or wrong answer, right? Like, you know, that that issue they're dealing with is, you know, it, it, we have to take um, Kang or he who, who remains, take him at his word. But I do think he's being mostly honest. I think there's some subterfuge there, but I think mostly he's telling us the truth there. And the reality is it's probably like the reason he got to where he is at that moment and he has enough control to trim all these timelines is probably because this had to have evolved over time. So his theory of the case makes perfect sense that there were basically all these other master villains that were all, you know, in a, a multiverse wide, uh, you know, uh, annihilation, right? And think about it. That means that all these other multiverses were destroyed. Like think about it. The, you know, th this makes uh, what happened with Thanos uh, nothing is dropping the bucket compared to that. And uh, and when you think about that, it's just like yeah. So imagine that you're imagine that unfettered that that's what's going to happen you're going to have another multiverse wide apocalypse happening like you know all the time you know infinite numbers of worlds are going to die is that better than, than this situation right and i think that's the question they're making you ask right it's the philosophical question that they're asking and it is interesting right and like you know they're at least smart enough to not only like raise the question but try to grapple with it in some way right so i think what's ironic is i think we already seen the ending of phase four with the loki series because theoretically it would have to end with them meeting he who remains in the 31st century, teaming up with him and, and pruning all these timelines and getting back to exactly where you started from. Think about it that way. Yeah. <laughs> That's only a logical outcome 
to eventually come full circle again. Yep. You know? yep. So yeah. and that's and that's what's interesting, by the way, visually, that when you see that um uh the the castle that he's in there, uh that you actually see the timeline outside is like a giant ring that meets itself, right? Like once again, going back to that matrix matrix idea that it's the revolution is the actual, you know, reboot, right, of the system. So yep. is this just another iteration, right? Do we go through the whole entire cycle again? And then we end up in that same place again at the end of uh, the next cycle of movies. That's where we end up again, right? And who knows, this may have already happened before, right? I was just to wrap things up at the end here. Did you guys want to do like a favorite and least favorite Marvel movie? I mean, I, I could go, I, I would probably say Ragnarok's at the top of my list. Wow, okay. um, Ragnarok and, uh, you know, Endgame slash Infinity, Infinity War, mm-hmm. I'd say that are at the top, the bottom, probably the Hulk. Or is it the incredible? I don't, I don't even, it, Ed Norton. I've watched. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Ed Norton one. Uh, that's, that's whenever, whenever somebody asks me, you know, about watching the MCU, I say, you could basically, you could watch everything except you don't really need to watch the Hulk movie. If you, you know, everybody knows how the Hulk started, yeah. you know, Bruce Banner, gamma rays, you know, if you watched, if you were alive in the seventies, you saw the show, that's, that's all you need to know about the Hulk, you know? And, you know, if you want, just look at the uh, look at the post credit scene on on YouTube. You know, it's, yep. it's a two minute scene. That's all you need to see in that movie. So I would say <laughs> the Hulk is probably at the bottom of my list. Uh, but uh, yeah, I would I would say Ragnarok and uh, uh, you know Infinity War slash Endgame. I view them as the same. You know, as as one movie. I would say uh, my my favorite still probably is the original Iron Man. I I still uh, I, I still enjoy that one. Probably my favorite. But I would say of the two between infinity war and Endgame, I much, much really feel that I enjoyed infinity war way more than Endgame. you know, Endgame, I kind of felt, uh, there's this, uh, SX machina thing with the whole time travel thing. And it kind of, whereas infinity war was, I thought just a better overall movie. I thought, I thought it was a much better movie. It was well thought out. Um, and I agree with you, Nick, I, I do, there's a special place in my heart for Ragnarok. I really, <laughs> I really do. It is a very entertaining movie. Um, you know, obviously the grandmaster in that is, is not the same grandmaster in the comics. A lot of it had to do with Jeff Goldblum because he did not want to be all blue. He said, I'm not, I'm not painting myself blue for this. I'm going to put a little blue like line. I mean, in the comics, grandmaster's like Thorne. He's blue. I mean, he's completely blue, you know? So, but uh, I do like that one. I least favorite. Um, I'd have to go with Iron Man three. I, I just, mm, wow. I did like some of the things in Iron Man three, but as a whole, very very disappointing movie. You have to think at that point, Iron Man was at the peak of popularity, and they really just did not, you know, stick the landing on that movie at all. It really, it just did not resonate with the fans. That nor did it resonate with me. And then I'd say the original Thor too. I, I I'm not a big fan of the original Thor movie. I just. Uh, the whole Jane Foster thing. And I just, I don't know. I, I never got into that. And again, the other movies make up for it and make it more interesting and, and weave that pattern that you need of the fabric of the entire story. But overall, nah, I, I not a big fan of the original Thor. So that would be mine. <laughs> for me, uh, I agree with everything you guys said pretty much. I, for me, Endgame is my number one. And I totally agree, by the way, that Infinity War is the better film like and it has that gut punch of an ending i agree that like it's so clunky where they're like um you know trying to make time travel work and they're like oh i fixed it you know i i solved it i solved time travel in an afternoon right so it's like all of that's pretty clunky but i mean the experience of first of all just literally watching that movie being like oh my god they're gonna pull this off like i can't believe it they're actually doing this and just the fact like this that pulling this stunt off and uh and also just uh, i mean i saw it in a theater with my nephews and like the audience was so electric it was just like one of those moments where it's like it's such a memorable movie going experience you know so uh so that puts it at the top of my list although like i said i agree and i love ragnarok by the way love ragnarok and uh but yeah but i would i would put endgame there just because like once again just as a movie going experience it was like the audience was like electric for me on the lower end it's funny it definitely is the hulk by the way because i forgot about that movie that's how much i had it at the bottom i totally forgot about it (laughs) but my original answer was going to be captain marvel i don't know how you guys feel about captain marvel that movie did not work for me at all. Like all the, the, the eighties or nineties music, all the, like the needle drops in there, the, the plot was 
a mess. And uh, I mean, the the special effects are pretty amazing, making Sam Jackson young and stuff. But I'm like, that was, I mean, what it was, that was just, it didn't work for me at all. That whole movie was just a mess for me. Funny thing is about Ragnarok and, and Endgame and Infinity War is also, you know, I'd, I'd read this somewhere a while ago, you know, it was really viewed as also a Hulk trilogy. Yeah. Because you see his character, yep. um, you know, develop from, he's, he's stuck as the Hulk, right, in Ragnarok. Then uh, in Infinity War, he's stuck as Banner. And then in Endgame, the two, the two are meshed together into Professor Hulk, and they, I, I think they were viewing that as as, as a construct for a, a, a trilogy for that character to develop the Hulk yeah. as well, which they did do, and they did do quite well. Um, but it's interesting, you know, you don't see him uh, at all after Ultron, Age of Ultron, and then the first time you see him is in Ragnarok because obviously he took the the. Uh, what is it? The jet to, you know, yeah. the Quinjet and it went through the, it went through the, the devil's anus and, and showed up and <laughs> in, in uh, you know, uh, on, uh, uh, you know, in the Grandmaster's planet. So, so, uh, you know, it was very interesting though, to see how they developed the whole character over those three movies. And it was used as a vehicle to develop that, that character. And I think, I think it was done extremely well. Um, I, all right. Any, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, if anything, that was disappointing that we never saw mobius on the jet ski actually that yes was- oh my god yes absolutely <laughs> i was waiting for that i would i would have bet money that we were going to see that before the show was over and yeah yep. that was definitely something i was surprised well maybe yeah. season two right? i yeah, think season oh, two i hope so i hope yep. so uh, all right guys thanks a lot Talk thanks awesome. victor thanks again Take man care. all right bye so that was the end of our conversation Once again, make sure you subscribe so you're notified when we have new episodes. Check in this weekend. We will have a episode review of the the first What If episode, Disney Plus, the new Marvel series, animated, but with the voice cast of the original MCU actors, so it should be very interesting. Also, Sona and I will be recapping Nine Perfect Strangers, a new series on FX, and before then, I will be releasing our last recap of the two most recent episodes of Evil on Paramount Plus, and more music episodes as well. So expect to hear another music episode coming very shortly, maybe before the weekend. Anyway, make sure you subscribe to get all that. Talk to you soon. <laughs>